in week three of our series entitled Fighting Words, and uh, we're looking at promises to fight the battles that we all face. And so week one, we looked at this battle of crisis, and then last week we looked at this battle of hurry that we all face, and today we're looking at another battle that I believe we all face, which is anxiety. You see, the reality is, whether you're watching at home or in this room, there, there have been times in your life where you've struggled with anxiety. Maybe some of you are struggling with anxiety right now, and it's all across the spectrum, right? Uh, it's from daily stresses to debilitating seasons of anxiety. Uh, for some people, it's situational anxiety. For some people, it's spiritual, and for some people, it's, it's clinical. But the reality is we can all acknowledge as we enter 2021 that everyone is struggling with anxiety at a little bit deeper level. In fact, as I looked at uh, some studies this week, the American Psychiatric Association said this, that 62% of people felt more anxious in 2020 than in 2019. And I know some of you are thinking, just 62%? Isn't 100% feel more anxious this last year and even into this new year than, than in previous years. And the reality is all of us are more anxious than we've ever been in our lives. And it's, it's due to the normal things like the, 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 the full inbox on a Monday morning that you see and, and all these emails are there and you just get that anxiety and the stress begins to overwhelm you. It's that presentation at work or that interview for work and you get that anxiety and those daily stresses. And it's all those things and relational conflict, it's all those things, but in 2020, 2021, it's throw in a pandemic. And it's not just a, a, a presentation at work now. For many of us, it's the lack of presentation at work because we don't have work anymore. And that's making us anxious. And it's other things like racism and, and violence and political division and an election. And, and people are more anxious than they ever have been before. And so... We're in church, and we need to talk about the things that we're struggling with, right, and see how we can fight them. One of my burdens as a pastor is seeing so many things that are just taboo to talk about in church that people actually struggle with, things like fear and doubt and things like anxiety. And I realize as we talk about anxiety, many of you have heard a sermon on anxiety or heard Christians talk about anxiety, and it's, it's this hidden thing that nobody wants to admit they have. And here's what happens. If we won't admit we have it, then we can't fight it. And so we need to bring it to the surface and we need to match it up with our Bible and see what does God have to say about our anxiety so that we can actually fight it. And so for some of you, I need to free you this morning that you need to know that there are people who love Jesus and follow Jesus, including your pastor, who struggle with anxiety. And some of you need to just be free to admit that. And that's your starting place. I need to acknowledge it so I can fight it. And it's not just me or some people in this room, it's, it's some of the great heroes of our faith, people like Charles Spurgeon, the, the prince of preachers, was known for a lot of things, being the prince of preachers as one, but also he was known for having a lifetime struggle of anxiety and depression. I know one of my most memorable sermons I've ever heard was in seminary. I'm just starting out in ministry and I'm listening to a guy speak at chapel named Tommy Nelson a pastor outside of Dallas, one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard in my lifetime. And he came to speak at chapel, and I was expecting the typical Tommy Nelson expositional sermon, but it wasn't that. The whole sermon was about his year-long struggle with anxiety and depression that he admittingly said almost took him out. 
And it's not just people in, in our lifetime or people that we remember in the past. It's, it's people of the faith in the Bible. It's people like Job and Jeremiah, and we see instances of anxiety and depression in their life. It's people like the Apostle Paul, who in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he's describing his affliction, and he says it this way. He says, he was so utterly burdened beyond strength and despairing of life itself. The Apostle Paul. Two-thirds of our New Testament. The greatest missionary, church planner our world has ever seen. It seems like there's some anxiety and depression going on in his life. We look at Jesus as he's approaching the physical pain and spiritual weight of the cross. Mark 14, says this, that he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Luke twenty two forty four says that he sweat drops of blood. Now, many people will debate, was Jesus really anxious? Jesus was perfect. Is anxiety a sin? Was Jesus anxious? And and let me just tell you this. Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled. And how many of you that describes your life or has described your life at times? See, I want want you to get this across and sink this into your gut that people who love Jesus and follow Jesus also can struggle with anxiety. And I say that not to free you up. Okay, well, I'm gonna just sink deeper into my depression and anxiety, Tim. Thank you. No, no, no. I say that again. We admit it so we can fight it. I say it not so you can seek down deeper in the anxiety, but so you can be equipped to actually fight. Okay, it's all out in the open. People struggle with anxiety. Let's fight it. Let's do that according to the promises of God. Let's bring our problems to God's promises. One of the things I just grew up hearing in church was, and I get what they were saying, but, but hey, leave all your problems at the door. Leave all the other things you're thinking about at the door and come in here and worship God. And I remember that always didn't sit well with me because I thought, no, shouldn't we be bringing our problems to God's promises so he can change them, so he can convict us, so he can cleanse us and heal us? And so that's what we need to do with anxiety. So the promise over the top of our time today is this. Write this down if you take notes. It's that God doesn't crush you in your anxiety. No, he comes near and he carries you. God doesn't crush you in your anxiety. Some of you just, right there. God is not preparing to crush you with this sermon. He's coming near to you in the midst of your anxiety, and he wants to carry you. That's our promise. We're going to unpack that as we go. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures. Some will be on the screen. Some will just be on the screen as references. So here's what I would like you to do if you're at home, if you're in this room. Anxiety is a big topic. We don't have a lot of time to cover everything. But I would like for you to take a picture of the slide. If you're at home, take a picture of the screen. Take notes. Get out that pen. Get out your, uh, uh, your phone, Evernote, note on your phone, whatever you need to do, and go back and look at this later. Okay, our first point is defining anxiety, or for a lot of us, we're gonna need to redefine anxiety. When we think about the word anxiety, specifically in the church context, or we think about what the Bible says about it, two passages usually come to mind, and maybe you don't know the references, but you just think about them, like Matthew 6, Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, and Philippians chapter four, the Apostle Paul. And they both say, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, do not be anxious three times. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, he says, do not be anxious about anything. And that's typically what we think of. And we're going to get to those passages. But first, I want you to see that word anxious or anxiety in the Greek language, the literal root meaning of the word is this idea of concern or care. 
this concern or care. In fact, as we look at some literal translations and a few other places in the Bible, instead of using the word anxiety, like for your translations, they'll say care or concern because that makes sense to us. But in the literal translations, they'll actually say anxiety, and it's in a good light. It's in caring. It's in concerning. And I want to give you just a few of those. 1 Corinthians 7.32 This is where Paul is talking about singleness and marriage. And he says, one of the benefits of being single is that you aren't anxious about another person. Instead, you're anxious about the things of God. And again, if you look at your translation, you may say, well, Tim, it says concern or care. Same word in the Greek language. It's all about the context. Same word. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 12, 25, Paul says, He's talking about the body of Christ. There's different members. He says, so that there would be no division, let each part of the body have equal concern or anxiety. Same word in the Greek. For each other. Philippians 2, verse 20, Paul's talking about Timothy. And he says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern or anxiety for your welfare. And so we see there can be a healthy concern in life that some of you, you struggle with anxiety and all you've ever heard is Matthew 6, all you ever heard is, is Philippians 4. We're gonna get to those, but the first type of concern or anxiety we see even in the Bible is a healthy concern. I remember hearing one pastor say it this way. He said, hey, here's the surefire way to not have any anxiety and never struggle with anxiety in your life. You know how to do it? Don't love anything or anyone. <laughs> then you won't have anxiety. And what he was saying was in jest. Obviously, if you didn't love anyone or anything, you would have your own anxiety in your own life because you wouldn't have relationships. But what he was pointing out is that there's some level, as you see anxiety in your life, it's not always sin. Some of you need to hear that. It's not always sin. It's not always idolatry. We're going to talk about that, but it's not always that way. Some level of anxiety is because you love your spouse, because you want to do a good job at work. Those aren't bad things. Now, that can overtake you. That can become an idol. But the first thing I want you to see in Scripture is there's a healthy concern. There's a healthy anxiety that some of us have. It's a reminder that you care about others, about things in your life, good things. The second type of anxiety is a misdirected concern. We see it in Luke 10 with Mary and Martha where where Jesus, he doesn't say, Martha, you sinner, why are you so busy working around the house preparing for my presence? He doesn't say that. Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, hey, Mary chose what is better and what can't be taken away. That Martha, as she was busy in her house, they had Jesus over to their house, a really big deal. Martha's tidying up the house, getting ready for dinner, all these things. And Jesus says, hey, Martha, you're concerned about a lot of lesser things. They're not sinful things. Ladies, men, men, it is not sinful to clean the house. Come on, ladies, right? Amen. It's not sinful. Jesus didn't say it was sinful in Luke chapter 10. He just said, that's a lesser thing. Here's the best. Mary's focused on the best thing. She's worshiping me, her creator. She's spending time with her Savior. Listen, how many times do we have misdirected anxiety or concern? How many times have you been in church? You're supposed to worship God in church. Instead of worshiping, you're thinking about working. You're thinking about that conflict with your spouse. You're thinking about these things that they may matter, they may be good things, but they're lesser things. You need to worship God. That's the best thing. Jesus says that can't be taken away from you. 
So it's another type of anxiety. It's a, a misdirected concern or anxiety. The last type is what a lot of us are used to hearing. The idolatrous concern. Maybe you've never called it idolatrous concern, but I'm raising the stakes on that as well. Okay? So Matthew 6, 25 through 34, Jesus is talking about all these basic provisions of life. Food, clothing, drink. And he's saying, why would you worry about this? He says, do not be anxious three different times. Why would you be anxious? He gets logical on them. He says, hey, hey worrying, being anxious, it doesn't even add a single hour to your life. Why are you doing that? And then he begins to sum it up in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. He says this, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Two issues that Jesus has with this type of anxiety. It's perspective and it's priority. It's perspective. Verse 32, he references Gentiles. Those were unbelievers. He, he references God as heavenly father. And what he's saying, hey, when you're anxious, don't be anxious because there's a problem with your perspective when you're anxious. Like these basic provisions of life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, you are not like the Gentile. You are not like the unbeliever. You are a believer in God. And God is a father. He's a perfect father, and he cares about his kids, and he will make provision for you. And so if you're anxious, you have a perspective problem. You don't see God that way. And then he says you have a priority problem, verse 33, that once you have that perspective, if you are a believer in God and you see him not as a mighty judge but as a perfect father, who takes care of his kids, provides for his kids. If you will see him that way, you will relate to him accordingly. You will seek that father first. Not what you're gonna eat, not what you're gonna wear. You won't put those things over and above God. It's an idolatrous concern. It's motivated by distrust in God. And listen, how many times have we been there? How many times have we felt like at work, God's not a perfect father and he doesn't care about me as his kid and he's not gonna take care of that promotion so I'm gonna cheat to get by and work. I'm gonna gossip to slander other people to get ahead to make sure I look good. How many times have we done that? That's idolatrous anxiety, idolatrous concern. We're putting our work above trusting, seeking first God, his kingdom, our perfect heavenly father. How many times in relationships have we not trusted God? Hey, God, you will take care of this conflict. Hey, God, you will vindicate me. No, 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 we, we get ahead. We nudge them out of the way. We post a veiled comment on Facebook. Why? Because we ultimately we don't trust that God is our perfect heavenly father. We're not seeking him first. We're seeking those other things first. So it's an idolatrous concern. So these are the, the ways we define anxiety as we sort of broaden our perspective and look at the whole of Scripture. And so the second thing is we have to deal with our anxiety. Right? We have to face it. We have to fight it. And so there's a few different ways we deal with that. The first couple ways are not good, but many of us deal with anxiety in these ways. The first way is avoiding anxiety. Some of us will just say, Tim, you're pointing out a lot of things I'm anxious about. And some of them you made me feel better about, some, some of them you made me feel worse about. I didn't call it idolatrous anxiety, goodness. 
And we're thinking about all those things. And so some of us, we think, and particularly in 2020, 2021, with all the different things available to being anxious about, some of us have just said, I'm just going to opt out. Relationships are too hard. Church is too messy. A job is too stressful. And so I'm just going to avoid the anxiety. I'm just going to pull back. I'm not going to love anyone or anything, and maybe I can be protected and never experience anxiety. And of course, we know that doesn't work, right? Then you get all anxiety about the things that are in your own head and the lies that Satan, he's got you where he wants you. You're by yourself. There's insanity and isolation, and you start to get anxiety about all those things. But many times, this is what we try to do. We try to avoid our anxiety. A lot of people are doing this right now. And as a church, sometimes we don't challenge you on that. You, you stay away from everybody and everything. Why? I'm just being safe for covid and for some of you, that's true. But COVID doesn't affect FaceTime. And COVID doesn't affect sending a text message. And the last time I checked, you don't get COVID from talking on the phone. Right? But yet, sometimes, you come on, you've experienced this, not just me. Where you been? How's it been going? Not even just with church, but other things. I haven't seen you. Are we still friends? Right? And they're like, well, it's just COVID. We're trying to be cautious. My mom, my sister. You know. It's like, well, does that affect us talking on the phone? And the reality is, this season has given people an excuse just to avoid all anxiety and isolate themselves, and it's not helping. Some of the most anxious people I talk to are those people. And so we often deal with it with avoiding it, but it doesn't work. We often deal with it with numbing. We go to an addiction or a distraction in the midst of our anxiety, and guess what? That feels good for a moment. That's why we do it. But once that dopamine hit wears off, the substance of the sex, of the streaming, of the social media. Once the dopamine hit is gone, the original anxiety is still there, but we've added to it, right? We've added to it as you're looking on social media because you think I'm anxious. You get off social media and you don't even know what to trace it back to because you were scrolling so much, but if you were able to in your mind, you would go back to that post of somebody else enjoying a nice dinner they were eating pho, right? And they're like, I don't even know what pho is. Why don't I know what pho is? How come I'm not eating pho? Like, why don't I have those friends? Why does my meal not look that good? Why don't I have that filter? And, and, and you didn't even know it, but you just doubled down on your anxiety. Or, or you're scrolling and you see that, that veiled comment, that scripture that somebody you know who's a Christian posted, and you're thinking, are they talking about me? <laughs> is, that, is that about me? And you get off the numbing, and not only do you have the original anxiety, you have more anxiety. So neither one of those things are the answer. That's not how we fight anxiety. No, what we're going to see is that we should delegate our anxiety to God. Now, a couple of disclaimers. We're going to get to the promise. We're going to get to the why and the how of what it means to delegate our anxiety to God. But I need you to hear me because I think we do have these extremes when we come to church and we talk about anxiety uh, one of them that you've probably experienced is just to kind of gloss over anxiety. Okay, Tim, this is all my anxiety. This is the problem with it. This is how I shouldn't handle it, but how should I handle it? And maybe the church has told you before, hey, just gloss over it. And they didn't say it that way, but they said it this way. Hey, insecurity. Hey, anxiety. Hey, depression. This isn't who you are anymore, so stop it. Hey, anxiety, depression, are you struggling with those things? Yes, I am. 
Have you considered quitting it? (laughs) Anybody ever heard that? And we just kind of gloss over it. Like, you struggle with it. It's bad. Please stop. Gloss over it. We give you a little pep rally. Hey, there's a new year. There's a new you. Hey, the best is yet to come. Just stop it. And we kind of gloss over anxiety. Another way we often do this in the church and tell you how to deal with your anxiety is just with guilt. You're anxious. Have you prayed about it? Obviously you haven't. Quit sinning, start praying, and then let me know how that works out. And many of us, maybe you thought uh, you were going to hear that today. Maybe you still joined us. Thank you for joining us. And as I say that promise, God doesn't crush you in your anxiety, that's all you have felt in the church. It's crushed with guilt. It was so sad. I was talking to somebody this week, a wife of another pastor, and her, her husband wasn't speaking that Sunday, but somebody else on staff was speaking on anxiety at her church, and she didn't go. Pastor's wife. Because she didn't know what he was going to say, and she thought she would be crushed in her anxiety. And many of us feel that. It's either glossed over or it's guilt-ridden, and I'm gonna try my best not to give you either one of those solutions. Not only because I don't think they're that helpful, but because I don't think they're that biblical, right? And so here we go. We're gonna go back to our promise. This is biblically how we fight anxiety. It's God doesn't crush you in your anxiety. He comes near and carries you. Now, where do I get that? Philippians chapter four, six through nine. It says this, do not be anxious about anything. Okay, I thought you said it wasn't going to be guilt, Tim. Just keep listening. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. God doesn't crush you in your anxiety. He comes near and carries you. We see that right in here in this text. Do not be anxious about anything. But lift all this anxiety and supplications and prayer and thanksgiving to God. Tell him about it. Give your anxiety to him. And he will carry you. He will come near to you. Notice the language. Paul says he will guard your hearts and minds. See, what's amazing about this is Paul is giving you imagery about what he's experiencing in that very moment. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians while in prison. You know what he's looking outside his cell at? A guard who never takes his eyes off of him, who never leaves his cell. And he's saying, you know what? You need to know in your anxiety, I'm gonna write this, that God, the peace of God, he'll guard your very heart and mind like this cell guard sitting outside right where I am. That's what God will do. He comes near. He doesn't retreat. He comes near. He's watching you. He's with you. And I love it. Verse 9, it's not just the peace of God is with you. It's the God of peace will be with you. God himself, he doesn't stay far off and extend his peace and throw it your way and hope you catch it. No, he comes near himself. That's what God does in the midst of your anxiety. He doesn't crush you. He comes near to you, and he will carry you. That's what we read last week in Matthew chapter 11. Are you heavy laden? Do you feel crushed? Well, guess what? I'm going to crush you even more. You don't even know what crushing is like. Is that what Jesus says? No, he says, hey, there's this yoke, 
and you're trying to carry all this weight, and you're bent over. Hey, why don't you let me carry it? My burden is light. This is the promise that we have to fight the battle of anxiety. We have something bigger than glossing over. We have something greater than guilt. We have the promises of God to fight this battle of anxiety in our lives. So that's the the why we delegate our anxiety unto God. Let's look at the how. Delegating our anxiety. I'm going to give you a list of things. God, God's gifts, God's people, God's professionals. But they're really all intertwined. They all come together. So we're just going to kind of hop around a little bit as we go here. The first thing is you do give your anxiety to God. You delegate it. Anybody like delegating tasks to other people? If you do it well, you delegate it, you give ownership. Maybe you do this at work. You give ownership away. You you take care of this, and I'd love to hear about it when it's done. That's what you do with your anxiety. You delegate it to God. You give it up to God. And it's not simply praying. Some of you think, okay, well, just, just pray about my anxiety. Like, I've tried that. It's not simply praying. It's diagnosing the root and transferring the weight. It's Psalm chapter 42, where the psalmist says, why are you so downcast, my soul? What's going on there? See, the reality is, behind your anxiety, there is something. And maybe it's just your schedule, and maybe it's just this season our world is in, but maybe it's some trauma from your past. Maybe it is sin, but have you ever asked? Have you ever said, why are you so downcast, my soul, when you wake up in the morning and you feel that anxiety hit? Have you ever gotten off social media and asked, you just feel anxious, but have you ever asked, why do I feel anxious? Have you ever tried to diagnose the root? Until you diagnose the root, you can't transfer the weight. And so many of us, we're all walking around anxious, and we don't know why. We're just anxious, and it leads to anger and lashing out at our kids. We're just anxious, and it leads to isolation. Some of you heard that. You're watching at home. Like, I don't know why I don't pick up the phone. I just, I'm anxious, and it leads to an isolation. And you've never diagnosed the root, so you can't transfer the weight. And somebody says, hey, hey, get off your phone and get on your knees and pray about your anxiety. And you're just like, that's not going to help because you've never tried to diagnose the root. Therefore, you've never transferred the weight. Now, listen, this is where I hop around. Some of it we need to lean into God's gifts. We need to delegate that anxiety into God's gifts. Some of us, we need to delegate it into God's people. Some of us need to delegate it into God's professionals. Right? Because the reality is, as many of us, as we're looking at, okay, diagnose the root, transfer the weight, Tim, I don't know the root. Because many of us, we see what is, and we're anxious about that, but we also see what if, and we're anxious about that, but a lot of us see what isn't, and we're anxious about that. And that's where you need God's people and sometimes God's professionals, a Christian counselor, to say, hey, these are lies that you're believing. You're not just anxious about your job and your kids and all these different finances and the pandemic. Those are what is, and some of it's what if. You're anxious about what is not. And that's where you need to delegate your anxiety, not just in private time and your quiet time with God, but with God's people. And maybe with a good Christian counselor who can help call balls and strikes, and, and you say something, and, and they just begin to dig that up and discover that's not even true, and yet it's gripping you with anxiety. And so we need to delegate our anxiety to God, to God's gifts, to God's people and God's professionals. That anxiety is a check engine light. 
Something's going on, and we need to pop the hood and see what that thing is. Have you done that? It's then that you can transfer the weight. That's what I love in 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all your cares upon him. It's this imagery of throwing all your cares, casting them out onto God. That saying of, you pray, you let God worry. That's what it is. It's delegating it onto God. We do that with God's gifts, our rest, our rhythms, our breathing, our eating, our sleeping, our exercising, our enjoying. Exodus 20, we talked about this last week, that we are to have a rhythm of rest. Some of us, we only have a rhythm of anxiety because we have no rest. We don't take care of the basic things like 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Glorify God in your body, it says. And we don't think about that. We just think, well, I'm a spiritual person. No, you're mind, body, and soul. And so you have to look at your body. So some of you need to do that. Some of you need to look at, am I sleeping? Am, what am I eating? Like, when's the last time I ate a green bean? Okay. And some of y'all, I just asked you all that question, like, um, 2018? You need to eat some vegetables. No wonder you're anxious. I remember my wife and I were at a wedding. I was officiating a wedding, and we looked at the pictures, you know. You go back and you look at the pictures, and I looked so stressed out. And listen, no filter would help that. And I was thinking about those few nights before, and I was like, man, I slept for like four to five hours each one of those nights. And started thinking about water and what I was eating, and like, I mean, I did not take care of myself. And so that night, I went to bed at 9 p.m., and the next day, we took a picture as a family, and I looked different. <laughs> this is what it's like to sleep, right? And the Bible's going to tell you, you need to sleep. Creation will tell you this. God shuts out the lights every night to remind you, you need to sleep. You need to rest. You need to have rhythms of rest in your life. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. We're not going to get into it. But as much as it talks about life can be depressing, it also talks about life can be enjoying. Yeah. We need to enjoy life. And then we need to have moments, like I said, where we go to God's people and allow them to sift through things for us. We have blind spots. Here's why they're called blind spots. You can't see them. Y- y'all watch online at home. Fantastic, I love it that you join us this way, but you can't do this alone. You have to have people in your life. There's insanity in isolation. So you need people to call these things out. Galatians 6.2 says it this way, that you need to carry each other's burdens. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says we can do this even in the midst of our affliction. Some of you are thinking, Tim, that would be nice. I have a lot of anxiety. I wish other people would carry my burdens. You're not just meant to give your burdens to them. You're meant to carry theirs as well. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Even in the midst of your affliction, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, God gave you that affliction or you have that affliction. He comforts you in the midst of it. Why? 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, so that you can comfort others in their affliction. Some of the best people that can help other people in their anxiety are people that are anxious or have been anxious. So, carry each other's burdens. This is what it means to to delegate our anxiety. And listen, I'm not saying this, I I mentioned it, I'm not saying this as someone who's never experienced it. I shared before, waking up in the middle of the night, cold sweats, my palms were sweaty, my knees were weak. Eminem reference, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't help it. 
But I had that moment. I had another moment. We started the church. I was laid out in the fetal position. It's debilitating anxiety. I've had moments of anxiety and seasons of anxiety over the last 10 months as someone who's trying to lead something in the midst of a pandemic. I don't know if you know that, but there's been some challenges. I've never used the word pivot so much in my life, right? And we've had to pivot and pivot and pivot online, in person, safe, healthy, hospitable. What does this look like? Racism. What are you going to say, Tim? Oh, yeah, I think you said too much. I think that was political. Oh, I don't think you said enough. I think that was political. Like, which one was political? I'm confused. And, and the pandemic, what's going to happen? A mask. And some people, that's against our rights. And some people, how could you not wear a mask? And it's been hard to lead. And I've had seasons and moments of anxiety of just like, how do I lead during this time? What does this look like? And I've had to come to, okay, it's not going to help to avoid it. It's not going to help to numb it. I need to delegate it upon God. And I'm not God. And prayer and delegating our anxiety, that's one of the reminders that reminds us that we're not God. And so I've had to get away and I've had to go up on a hike even Friday. I was anxious about preaching on anxiety. And I had to go up on the side of that mountain and hide behind a rock so nobody else would see me and just raise my hands. I literally did this. I just wanted to picture 1 Peter 5, 7. Hey, cast all your cares upon God. Transfer your burden, Matthew 11. Give it over to him. And I just opened up my hands and I just started talking. I just started talking about all the things I was anxious about. And I started giving those things to God. And I didn't come back and they were all gone and the best is yet to come. But it's like that song we just sang a minute ago, I placed my faith in Jesus and he was my anchor to the ground. And so even if there was still a storm, I was now anchored. That's what God is calling you to do. See friends, as we look at Job, as we look at Jeremiah, as we look at Charles Spurgeon and Tommy Nelson and Paul and all these people followed Jesus but had anxiety, what they didn't do is isolate. What they didn't do is believe God had retreated. What they did do is they believed God came near and they began to not isolate from him. They began to invite him in. See, the question this morning is not, will you have faith or will you have anxiety? It's will you give your anxiety to God? Will you invite him in it so he will not crush you? so he can come near to you, and so he can carry it for you. That's the moment before you right now. So take your anxiety. Take a moment. We're going to sing a song. Take a moment and give that. If you need to hold your hands out physically, maybe that would help you. Listen, this is church. This is not the time for pretense. This is church. This is the time to get healed. And so maybe this moment, God's put you here. God's put you at home to, to put down the distractions to put down the numbing and to delegate your anxiety to God so he can come near to you, so he can carry you in the midst of your anxiety. Let's take a moment to do that now. God, I pray for these men and women, for kids, for high schoolers who are watching this, who have some anxiety. God, over the things that have been taken away, over the things that that are over the, over the what ifs, but also over the what isn'ts. Also the things that are not even true, the lies that Satan and the enemy is, is speaking to them, maybe even right now, that says, 
What are you going to do? Raise your hands? What are you going to do? You think God's going to heal this? God, I pray against those lies of the enemy right now in this moment. God, by the power of your spirit, you would help us to see you rightly. You're a good father who cares about his kids, and you don't crush us in our anxiety. You come near, and you do carry us. And that is why we should pray. And that is why we should unload some things this morning and not walk out of here carrying them on our own as if we can even do that. God, I pray for the people watching this. I pray for the people in this room. God, may we experience your healing from our anxiety. God, whether it's situational or spiritual or clinical, we would, we would seek help for that. And God, you would begin to start that help right now in this moment because you're a good father and you care about us as your kids. And you want us to trust you. And you're with us. Your peace is with us. Help us to feel that and respond accordingly right now. It's in the name of Jesus we